And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books? Nonfiction? It's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. everyone. I am Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we are back today with another episode of Rebel Girls Book Club. Today we are super excited because we're interviewing the author, Louise Hare, on her new book, Miss Aldridge Regrets. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, thank you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your story and your book and a little bit about, this isn't your first novel, right? So maybe you could give a little bit of an introduction to us about you as an author. Yeah. So this is my, technically my second book, but the first one to be published in the US. So I write historical fiction and both, both my books have been sort of crime, but the first one was more about like the impact of a crime as opposed to this one, which is definitely sort of a full on murder mystery. So with Miss Aldridge Regrets, uh, the lead character is Lena Aldridge and she, when the book begins, she's a jazz singer in Soho. It's 1936. And that's Soho in London. She gets offered this amazing opportunity, which is to take this role on Broadway. And she gets offered this first class uh, ticket on the Queen Mary. And she kind of knows it sounds a little bit too good to be true. But then for various reasons, it seems like a good, a good time to leave London. So she sort of goes ahead. And then when she's on the ship, these murders start to happen. And she realizes that she's kind of involved somehow. So she's trying to figure out, you know, well, she's kind of trying to stay alive first and foremost but then also trying to work out who's behind these murders thank you for for giving the background on the book and for our listeners it's absolutely fantastic the twist at the end really had me on the edge of my seat i texted harmony uh when i finished the book like <laughs> what is happening i have so many thoughts I figured it, it was out really first, hard to frame this episode in a way yeah harmony figured it out before i did i was just like <laughs> blown away it was hard to make this episode non-spoiler, but we're going to try our best. But if we get into spoilers, it's not a problem. That's what our listeners are really used to. As you mentioned, Miss Aldridge Regrets is a historical murder mystery, one that's set both in London as well as on, on a steamship to the States. But at its core to me, it's also a book about power and navigating the power structures at the intersections of racism and classism and sexism. So I was curious, when you were first dreaming of this novel, did the plot elements of the murder mystery come first? Or was it really your intention to explore systemic power and the murder mystery became a really interesting way to do that? Yeah, so this actually began as a short story. Um, I was doing a master's degree in creative writing and one of the modules was looking at genre. So I was looking at historical and, and crime. So I decided to write this short story, which was a lot of fun. So it had this lead character who sort of became Lino. It was set in a jazz club in Soho. But the feedback from my tutor was that it, like, it's not a short story because you want to know what happens after she leaves the club. So then I started to think about that. And then... I guess I started thinking it as a murder mystery first, although I'm not really a plotter, so it was quite interesting trying to write a murder mystery without <laughs> really knowing what was going to happen. 
But then the other stuff sort of came along just because it's stuff that is interesting to me to talk about. And also because, you know, as you're sort of writing your way into the character, you start thinking about the things that affect her life. And so, you know, you have to kind of talk about, you know, she's on the ship where it's very divided into first class, second class and the people that work on the ship. So there were sort of just issues that came up because of the situation. As Maggie mentioned, this book deals deeply with embedded systemic power. And one of the themes that we picked up on almost right away was this theme of isolation that the main character, Lena, really feels throughout the novel. And so we were wondering why in a book that's talking so deeply about embedded power and systemic power, why is it important to explore a theme of isolation within that context? Yeah, well, I mean... I guess I was editing this through lockdown so, and I live alone. So I was kind of very much in that sort of headspace of sort of, yeah, dealing with my own sort of isolation. Yeah, I think it is, I guess one of the, the things that I was thinking about when I, even when I was writing the short story was the idea of, you know, you, you look at, I guess, celebrities or you see someone on the stage and you, you think that because they put on a great performance that they must have everything sorted in their life, everything must be perfect. And so I kind of wanted to sort of look what happens when that person walks off stage and what their life is like. And I think looking at how isolated Lena's sort of become without almost realizing it because of choices that she's made and things that, you know, choices that people around her have made. It's just kind of interesting to sort of look at what life is like. It's, I guess, because she's sort of mid twenties. I was sort of thinking about when I was her age as well and trying to, I just moved to London and trying to make friends and trying to, yeah, just sort of navigate through life. That's interesting about the idea of sort of also peeling back the the curtain on fame and things like that and, and kind of what happens when people walk off stage. I wasn't really thinking about that while I was reading the novel. I was so engrossed with what was going to happen next, but that really, that's really compelling. And I think relating to that too, something that I found really interesting about Lena was that as much as she's going through this isolation, both physically being on the boat, but also navigating a lot of relationship changes in her life, shall we say. She's very much a character who's really naturally looking to make connections and to find friends. And then throughout the book, we really flash back to the week prior to the events that are happening on the boat, and we learn about Lena's relationship with her friend Maggie, which really starts out as one of kind of solidarity and sort of us against the world, but becomes significantly more complicated once Maggie's husband says he wants a divorce and is then murdered. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about your philosophy behind Lena's relationship with Maggie and what you wanted to really explore about friendship and solidarity through that storyline. I think I think friendship, I love reading friendship in novels, so friendships are always really important to me to include. I find it weird when you read a novel and people don't have friends <laughs> or they might have like a husband or a wife and, you know, and, but they don't seem to have these other relationships outside of the home. So I really was wanting to give Lena a friend, even though I mean, her relationship with Maggie definitely <laughs> sort of changes over the course of those few days in Soho, you know, finding out what's happened, what happened, what's going to happen to Maggie's husband and things like that. And then obviously when she gets on the ship, she's almost kind of trying to replace that bond in a way because she's just lost her father a few months before as well. So yeah, she she feels quite alone and she is looking to sort of make those connections with people. And and also I think because she's almost, she's being forced to act as a sort of a different version of herself. She's passing as white and she's, you know, trying not to 
let people find out what she's happened to her in London as well. So like the murder of Maggie's husband. So yeah, I think she's looking for people that she can be more herself around, which is quite important because it's quite, you know, as well as all the murders that are happening, which are you know, quite stressful. She has also got, you know, just the everyday life aspects of, yeah, trying to conceal who she is a little bit. Yeah, their friendship was one of the best parts of the novel for me to read about. And I really, I really felt a lot of sympathy and empathy for Lena as we're, as she's just sitting there on the boat going through all of this crazy mayhem and just missing her best friend and her family. Mm. Kind of along those lines, as she's looking to see who she can trust, I think it was easy for both Maggie and I to pick up on this, this idea of Lena as a kind of cautious, vigilant character. She's always assessing power situations and she's very quick. She's very quick to figure out where people are placed in particular social contexts. And so we were wondering why you made that choice to make her so vigilant and to always be watching and perceiving what's going on around her and why that's important for her development as a character throughout this novel. I guess when I was thinking about who she was as a, as a person, you know, she's someone that I guess grew up quite poor like even I mean even when we meet her at the start of the book she's got no money she's not got anywhere to live really and so I was just sort of thinking about what it would be like to grow up and have to become a little bit sort of streetwise I mean it doesn't mean that she makes great decisions because <laughs> she definitely makes some terrible decisions along the way but you know thinking about especially in the terms of the elements of her having to pass you know from time to time and get by in different situations you know I guess it's something that you learn along the way is how to read people and how it's kind of like a survival instinct is you know how do I fit in with these people so you have to sort of be able to figure that out quite quickly so that did sort of become an intrinsic part of the novel just because I just felt it was something that she would have learned she would have had to use like every day in order to just get through life that makes a lot of sense to me. I think that one thing you did super well with Lena that I really appreciated was that even though the events of the novel are taking place over a very, uh, you know, a very condensed period of time, we got to, she was so fleshed out, we got so much of her backstory and you really got that sense of how she was growing up and what her life was like. And I think that because of that, there's also a lot of ideas about class relations and class solidarity that are kind of running throughout the book, which again, really ties in interestingly to everything you were just saying about the ways that Lena's always aware that she's being watched as she's kind of navigating this first class life as she's trying to find people who she can actually be herself with while she's simultaneously putting on an act. She has a really powerful conversation with Eliza on page 199 and lots of important things happen there but for the purpose of this conversation one of the things that really struck me was that this is the conversation where Lena realizes and then articulates that Eliza has no concept of how the world works if you aren't rich and that she has basically a very expensive veneer that makes her seem like a person that has a lot of thoughts and feelings but really she doesn't have any substance. So I was curious why you decided to sort of make that conversation and that class discrepancy a major breaking point in their relationship in the book and how you just kind of thought about writing about those class differences in general as you were crafting the novel. I think... I mean, one of the hardest parts of the novel was trying to work out the relationship between Lena and Eliza, because there's obviously a lot going on there. And I guess I was just sort of thinking about, obviously, there's quite a big revelation in that scene. And it's probably the scene that I rewrote the most times, trying to get it right, because I was trying to figure out who Eliza was as well. 
and then I sort of settled on yeah just this this woman who is kind of yeah sort of closeted by money she's she's not used to doing things hard the one time she tries to do something difficult she you know she gives up so I was just sort of thinking having made that decision as a younger woman and then having I guess it's, it's almost like I was thinking you wouldn't want that decision to have been wrong so you would sort of double down on everything that you bought into so she has to believe in the money and the power because otherwise her sort of sacrifice hasn't been worth it so that was one of the kind of the things that I was thinking about in terms of Eliza and then sort of trying to balance that with what Lena makes of it when she finds out who this woman is and sort of learns more about about her past and and so yeah I think it was just an interesting element and because there is so much about class in the book just naturally anyway it was just interesting to sort of explore that through through Eliza because I guess she's probably the main the most prominent character within that family that that Lena ends up sitting with at dinner on the ship so so yeah she was just a really interesting character to write I think and to think about all those different things that that made her up or didn't make her up because she yeah she just struck me as being quite quite shallow and very protected in a kind of a sad way, I think. I think we see that a lot with most of the female characters in the script. And Maggie and I didn't give you a great introduction before we started. We're a little rusty. This is our first episode of the season. Um, but we're, we're a feminist podcast, so we're really <laughs> interested in hierarchies and social situations. And this book does a really good job of looking at things like privilege. And I was particularly interested in the way that the female cast of characters was portrayed and particularly in relation to privilege because aside from Lena most of the people that we're seeing are white and I I felt like I saw a very direct parallel between this you know long-held belief that white supremacy has perpetuated in terms of white femininity equaling innocence and purity and the way that the other characters that weren't Lena operated in this book and even the way Lena operates a little bit because she's able to because she's white passing. And so we were wondering if you could speak to us a little bit more about that choice because I feel like you explore things like innocence and hierarchy like the way that many of the characters in this book including Eliza, Daisy, Maggie even, are willing to step on other people in order to get out of the sexist constraints that they're held into, and how that relates to innocence and maybe whiteness, if that makes sense. I'm sorry if that question's a little complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I was sort of, yeah, I guess I wanted, I did want to explore the idea that you can, you know, look at someone in a certain position or, you know, just, you, we judge people by the way that they look and we decide, you know, if they're innocent or not. And obviously, as you find out in the book, <laughs> it, just because you look innocent doesn't mean that you are. So yeah, I thought it was just interesting to write about that and to consider, you know, how these different women interact. And, and yeah, they, I mean, they will throw each, <laughs> each other under the bus if they need to. So, <laughs> which just makes, I guess for me, it just made them more interesting to write. And to, because I don't really plot, it was quite funny, like writing, especially Daisy, some of the conversations that she has with Lena and Lena can't work out if they're friends or like, they're kind of frenemies, but <laughs> by the end, because they're both sort of trapped in this situation where, you know, they might die 
but but also one of them could be the killer so you know do they trust each other and they do you know they they both sort of snitch on each other <laughs> so i think it it was interesting to write and i was also interested in because lena is white passing it was quite interesting to sort of look at that in terms of race i mean the, the reason that i was originally thinking to to make her white passing was because when i started writing the book in originally in 2019 was when there was all the stuff in like the british press about Meghan markle and things and people saying that it couldn't be racist because she kind of looked she was too white looking so i kind of wanted to explore race from that angle but then also show the fact that you know lena gets away with a lot because she is white passing so so yeah it was just it was partly fun to write just i guess complicated women women that don't always do the right thing and Lila certainly doesn't, but I hope my main aim was just to write someone who makes, yeah, terrible decisions, but you still kind of root for her to, you know, survive and to find out who the murderer is and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm just kind of selfish. I just want to write fun stuff. And so interesting women to me are fun to write. Absolutely. I think if you're going to spend all your time writing a book, it's got to be fun, right? You've got to actually like what you're doing. <laughs> I'm really glad that you brought up the relationship that she has with Daisy because... I feel like for me that was that was a really fun thing to parse out as I was reading what their relationship was and it was so interesting to read the ways in which they go back and forth with each other. There's this really memorable scene where Daisy thinks that Lena's betrayed her and she's like, I thought we were friends. And Lena has a, an intense moment about, were they actually friends? But five minutes before, she was just routing, writing out Daisy's entire life story <laughs> to the constable. It was like, girl, I understand why you're doing what you're doing, but the dissonance here is a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm really interested, though, in what you were saying about so much of what was happening in the British press in 2019 at the time. Harmony and I are obviously Americans, so not the most plugged in, but I think everybody heard about so much of the controversy, for lack of a better word, around Meghan Markle. And I was really interested because one of the things that the, that the novel deals with talking about racism is through kind of cultural comparisons between the United States and England which was part of the reason why the boat setting to me was so brilliant because we were physically moving and then the conversation was physically moving and it was super well done. But I was I was interested about what your philosophy was what, about crafting a novel that kind of explores the impacts of systemic racism in two different countries and how you thought about kind of exploring the impacts of those two different systems. I think at the beginning of the book, there, it plays a little bit on the stereotype that I think a lot of Americans have that things are better somehow in the UK, when in reality, I think the impacts just look differently in the two different locations. And the deeper you get into the novel, the more you see the way that unfolds. I mean, it was definitely something that I wanted to explore. Because I mainly write historical fiction, I, you know, even from my first book, I was doing lots of research into, you know, sort of earlier 20th century and, and looking at a lot of African-Americans who moved to Europe to get work and to, I guess, have sort of an easier life. But, you know, just because there weren't sort of laws against where black people could and couldn't go doesn't mean that they weren't, there wasn't a colour bar because there definitely was that you could try and get a seat in a restaurant and they would just go, oh, sorry, we're fully booked. So you could look around and see a loads of empty tables and you couldn't prove that it was right. You, I guess that's the problem with, in Britain, it, it looks different because it's almost like you're getting gaslit. <laughs> so you don't, you can't prove racism, but the, you, you're looking at something going, this is definitely racist, but 
you kind of can't prove it. So one of the scenes in the book, Lena goes to the Savoy Hotel, which I'd used because a few years before that scene is set, there was the actor Paul Robeson, and he spent a lot of time in the UK in the 30s, and he was acting at the Savoy Theatre, which is next door to the hotel. And he actually got turned away from the Savoy Grill because they were worried that their American clients would take offence to him being there. And so, yeah, I kind of wanted to talk about, I guess, the fact that 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 used to go on and you couldn't do anything. There were no laws at that time against racial discrimination. So you couldn't, you you couldn't do anything. If they said you couldn't come in, you couldn't go. So that was one of the things I wanted to look at. But then I think, you know, some of the conversations that Lena has with Will on the ship. So Will's like the band leader and he is American and he sort of, you know, talks her straight and says, you know, you need to be careful because once you get to America, you're going to have to sort of decide what you are. And I think that's the decision that Lena's been putting off. She knows she passes as white, but she just doesn't, I think she thinks if she just doesn't acknowledge it, then she's not sort of denying who she is, but she's just sort of been coasting along. And Will sort of is the guy that goes, actually, no, you need to decide because you can't keep changing your mind about what how you want to present yourself people will you know have have a real issue with that when you get to New York and I think it's those things that I wanted to sort of look at and it's part of I guess Lena's development as well is her thinking about yeah how she wants to be seen in the world does she want to keep sort of flying under the radar or does she want to sort of you know acknowledge her father more because he's recently died and and he was a really important person in her life. Like, does she want to deny his existence because he couldn't pass? So, yeah, there were just a few interesting elements that I wanted to sort of discuss in the book. I guess along those lines, and, and hearing you talk, I'm kind of rephrasing the question in my mind a little bit because I, I'm i someone who's been to Europe a few times, and every time I go, I feel like I end up having conversations with people about race and the differences between expression of racism in Europe versus the United States, where we have this horrible history of slavery that happened physically on our soil. And so we have a ton of language for it. And then, you know, I go to Europe and you'll see things that are, that we would term as microaggressions and that wouldn't be showcased like in museums without context here, but that are more acceptable there, I guess. And so we were wondering a little bit about how countries, and you, you, you sort of already spoke about this, but how somebody's place being born in a, in a country or a location, how that maybe shaped each character's relationship to race. As you pointed out, Lena thinks that she doesn't necessarily have to choose a side in the way that Will kind of asserts that she'll, she'll have to once she reaches New York. I think, I mean, essentially for Lena, she's, She's kind of always known this about herself, but it's just been easier to ignore it. <laughs> She's really good at ignoring things that stress her out. <laughs> so so when we first meet her and she's at the club in Soho, she feels apart from the musicians because they don't, they're a bit wary of her and how she chooses to present herself a little bit. So, so yeah, I kind of wanted to think about that. And then her father was American. So in terms of her memories of him and things that happened to, that she saw happen to him because he was black and then looking at her mother who sort of abandoned her when she was a baby and 
the way I wanted to write about that was, you know, this idea that, you know, you have this woman that wanted to, young woman who wanted to rebel and the worst thing she could think of was to, to run off with this black musician to sort of, you know, do the most damage to her family. And I guess it's that idea that, you know, you would not choose to do it out of love, but you would choose to do that out of revenge. I just thought it was quite interesting to to write about as well. And in terms of, you know, the ongoing repercussions in terms of what happens on the ship as well, when Lena discovers who her mother was and when they're talking about that and she kind of, I think, yeah, she has this loyalty to her father and she's just sort of coming to terms with the idea that, yeah, she should acknowledge who she is more and she should listen to to Will on that point and actually just sort of take some responsibility for herself. Because part of her character development is, I think, her taking, learning to take a bit more responsibility about her actions and the things that she she does in life. Yeah, absolutely. You said so many interesting things here. I'm trying to decide which direction I want to go. <laughs> I think that what I really enjoyed the relationship that Lena has with Alfie throughout the book, which is interesting because, of course, Alfie, the entire time the events are happening, has already passed, but he's still such a physical presence in the novel because of her relationship with him and because of those memories that she that she carries with her and i was wondering alfie's referred throughout the entire novel as being pretty much the only good man that anybody knows and i was wondering how you thought about sort of crafting his character making him feel like that physical presence but also kind of being the only okay man that one can find and now he's not (laughs) even really around anymore and how that whole dynamic came into being as you were building that very close relationship between the two of them so Alfie really came out of the idea that when I was writing the first Soho scene which is basically she's late she's running to have lunch with Maggie in a restaurant and I, I don't know, I, for some reason, I just was like, she feels really sad. There's some sadness to this woman. And then I, I sort of came up with Alfie. I was like, well, you know what? It's not like a new sadness. It's sort of something she'd been carrying for a while. So then sort of came up with Alfie. And he wasn't really supposed to be in the book that much at all. But he kind of just took over <laughs> a little bit in a good way. Because I was sort of thinking about her, what her memories would be. And I wanted to give her some good memories. It's not just all about the murder and the, you know, the drama. It's sort of those quieter moments when she's sort of thinking about things that they used to do together. And she's, I guess, in a way, wondering if she'll ever sort of find that connection with someone again in terms of family connection. And especially with what happens with, with Maggie in London. She's feeling kind of, because betrayed to the wrong way, maybe just like a little bit, let down by some people in her life and yeah this one guy that she could sort of rely on has isn't there anymore so she's sort of not looking for a replacement but she's kind of I guess reflecting on on him as a person and their relationship throughout the book and I mean because I'm writing a follow-up novel now and so he's going to be in the next book a lot more just because I just yeah I wanted to get to know Alfie a little bit more and in sort of in person, as it were, as opposed to sort of this sort of sort of ghostly memory um, that Lena has of him. I'm so excited to hear that there's a follow-up novel coming. You've just made my day. <laughs> <laughs> this is 
this is sort of an off topic question, but I wanted to know before we wrapped up, Lena really loves murder mysteries. And I'm someone who actually does not read a lot of murder mysteries. This book was kind of the first in many years and it was delightful. And so it was a good reintroduction into the genre. But I think Agatha Christie might be mentioned at one point in the book. And I was wondering if you had any murder mystery influence authors that are really important to you and that you maybe drew in while writing this book. I mean, I did read a few Agatha Christie's, although I I think I read lots when I was a kid. And when I revisited them, I didn't realize how much racism there is in them and quite a lot of anti-Semitic stuff as well. So probably the writer that I would, that I did read more was Patricia Heisman. So more for that psychological suspense aspect, the way that she writes these horrible characters, I just love. <laughs> I, I like a, a really sort of, yeah, a complicated character or someone who, you know, does, you know, can do despicable things. You know, if you look at like Tom Ripley, you know, you really want to want him to evade the police, even though he's just going, you know, killing people to sort of maintain his lifestyle. So I was just really interested in how she did that and so I wanted to you know make Lena you know not not an unlikable character I think she is likable but you know she definitely does does things that you wouldn't say are particularly moral and so I was kind of wanting to read Highsmith to sort of figure out how far I could sort of push her as a character before before people would be like yeah you could get murdered now I don't care That's funny that that was your goal. That's really interesting. I I wonder if that changes the way that I see Lita. It really, I think, highlights her decisions at the end in a different in a different way for me. And that's not a bad thing, but it's just it's just interesting to think about. Louise, thank you so much for joining us. But before we wrap up, is there anything that you wanted to talk about regarding the book that we didn't ask you about? No, I think we've covered we've covered a lot of stuff. That's good. Well, alrighty. Are there any upcoming projects we should be on the lookout for? Clearly a sequel slash prequel to this book, but anything else? Um, That is it for now. I mean, hopefully it will be out. If I can finish this edit, hopefully it'll be out next year at some point. So yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be set in Harlem, the majority of it. So it's been interesting to try and research from this side of the Atlantic because I had to start writing it during a lockdown. So yeah, but it's been really interesting to sort of explore Lena trying to discover more about her family, discover more about Alfie. So yeah, and lots of Alfie in there as well. I am so excited. You can bet that Harmony and I will be picking that up as soon as it's out. Uh, We both really enjoyed the book and thank you again so much for coming to talk to us. Listeners, we will be back with you all next week. Have a great week, everybody, and we will see you all later. Goodbye. Bye. Don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcatcher app. You can support this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash RGBC and clicking the support this podcast button. Our episode schedule can be found in our show notes or by going to our website rebelgirlsbook.club and clicking read along with the show. You can follow us at rgbcpod on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Gays. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously.